Thank you for reminding me. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here and worshiping with us this morning. Kind of let everyone find a seat here in just a couple minutes, and uh, we're going to start worshiping together. I've got just a couple of quick announcements for you. Uh, The first one is our veterans group is going to meet this afternoon at 4.30 in the chapel. So if you're a veteran, uh, John Bartlett back here is going to be leading that group, and he has uh, been planning and praying about this group, and he would love to have you all uh, be a part of that. So if you're interested in participating in his uh, veteran group, uh, they're meeting today at 4.30 uh, down in the chapel. Uh, Our next announcement is for uh, our Sunday worship service next week. Just a reminder that next Sunday is our Memorial Garden Sunday. So if you have uh, let uh, the church staff know about a paver that you'd like, that will all be happening next Sunday. Uh, But one of the bigger events that we're doing next Sunday is baptism. So if you have not been baptized and you feel that that is the next step in your relationship with God and uh, as a Christian, then we would love to hear from you this week. Um, Pastor Brian would love to just talk with you for a few minutes about baptism if you're interested in that. Uh, So that's happening next Sunday, and if you're interested in being baptized, please let us know uh, as soon as you can this week. That way we can meet with you and talk with you about baptism. Um, This coming Friday, we're doing something new. We are going to have open gym, but instead of basketball, we're going to be playing volleyball. Uh, So we're going to do an open gym just for volleyball. Anybody that wants to come play can come play. Uh, We'll have the court, the net set up, and uh, we'll be ready to go at 6 o'clock on Friday night. Uh, We're going to try and do this the first Friday of the month uh, from here on out. So if you're interested in playing volleyball, Please come and join us and enjoy some fellowship and uh, just playing some volleyball with one another. My last announcement for this morning is about Trunk or Treat at the end of October. Now, a lot of you have probably participated in that and been uh, a part of it, but if you don't know what it is, it's our big Halloween event at the end of October. And we are going to do a chili cook-off this year, so if you are interested in cooking some chili and winning a prize... We're going to have a sign-up sheet next Sunday for you, uh, and you can just sign up, and we just need to know that you're planning on bringing some chili, and then also um, we'll have a sign-up sheet if you'd like to have your car out um, decorated for the trunk or treat, and also some extra candy would would go a long way. So if you don't want to do anything that night, but just bring candy for us to pass out, that would be awesome. If you'll stand with me and greet those around you, we're going to start worshiping together this morning.
started doing hymns on the fifth Sunday of the month. So we're going to sing hymns today. I know half of you are thinking, woohoo, and half of you are thinking, oh. But I hope that you will worship the Lord, whether it's your favorite or not.
tired clapping. Wow. You may be seated. A much needed rest. Worship calisthenics. I uh, came across something the other day that really kind of hit me in the heart. You know when you hear something or read something that you know is true, it has a certain ring to it. And um, let me read it to you. This is something I read that Beth Moore wrote. She said, We want to be overcomers with nothing to overcome. Courageous with nothing to fear. Loving with no catalyst to hate. Servants with no jerks to serve. Givers without our wallets involved. Carriers of causes instead of crosses. And Jesus is way too good to let us get away with it. know what kind of week you've had or what kind of month you've had, where you're at, but this spoke to me because it's true, and I just had to confess, Jesus, I'm sorry. I want to learn to consider it all joy, because I know that the testing of my faith develops perseverance, and if I'll let him, the trials of this life can produce a harvest faithfulness and righteousness that I want. I want to be more like Jesus. I don't know if that speaks to you, but as we come to him in worship, I just encourage you to, even in the fun songs, especially in the fun songs, to open your heart to him and what he has for you this morning.
As the uh, ushers prepare to come forward to take our offering, I wanted to share a couple thoughts. See, I'm pretty excited that we've started a kind of a new tradition, uh, and I'm hoping that it carries through. See, the last couple of weeks, we've allowed the children to come forward and give. I think that there's a lot of meaning there. There's a lot of power there. See, in Matthew 19, Jesus tells us the kingdom of heaven belongs to the, those such as these, these children. Why do you think he says that? Because children don't think about the mortgage. Children don't think about the car payments. Children don't think about all of those other little things. They're focused. They know where it goes. They want to give. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. He wants us to give in a way that is cheerful, not under compulsion, not begrudgingly. This tradition was actually 
also a tradition at, at the church that uh, our family uh, grew up in up in the Denver area and it was always really powerful for me because right before the rest of us adults who have all of life to worry about would get a, our chance to give we had this amazing example given to us by those to whom the kingdom of heaven belongs, right? I would pray that as we invite the children up to give and show us how to give, that we watch, pay attention. Look at how they go. Look at how they act. And normally, after giving, the children would go down to their classes and meet up. Today is a family worship. We're going to stay up here. So kids, after you give, go back to your parents. But adults. Or actually, they'll stay up here. Or they'll actually stay up here. Right okay, here. so yeah, kids, actually stay up after you give. But adults, pay close attention. This is what it's supposed to look like. Let's pray. Father, it's tough to put into words our gratitude for the blessings that you shower on us every single day. Sometimes we don't even see them, Father, but in hindsight, we can look back and we can see your hand in our life. Help us to love giving because you've given so much to us. First and primarily, your son. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, and whom you lifted up on the third day to defeat death and to defeat our sin. And secondarily, all of the stuff. Father, we live in the most blessed nation on earth. We know it. <clears throat> we know that we have so much material wealth and so much material stuff. Sometimes we can become slaves to that, Father. And that's where these kids come in. It's amazing to watch them. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes and hearts of each person here as they see this unfold and learn to give the way a child does, or a child does. Again, Father, we thank you so much for the blessings you've provided. We ask that you take take these, these offerings that we give to you and bless them and, and multiply them and, and use them to grow your kingdom on this earth. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray this day always. Amen. Did you want to come forward? And then just hang out right up here with me. Find a seat on the floor. guys had a good week you're uh, you've been going to school now for about a month you ready for Christmas break yet yeah just what I thought just what I thought so a month ago uh, I'm gonna go ahead and talk to everybody in here just in case there's folks that are new since about a month ago um, 
We're going to have the kids in here with us just as they are now. And uh, this happens on the last Sunday of every month. And they're extra excited about this because somebody in this group brought me a bag. And inside the bag is an object that I don't know what it is yet. I haven't seen it. And when I pull it out, I have to try to come up with a little sermonette using the object. Um, We call this sermon in the sack. So uh, last month, I pulled out a transformer, and I was so thankful for that because um, that one was a pretty easy one to do. So I've been quite nervous about this, kids. But I think the Allison boys have brought me something today. Is that right? So come on up here, buddy, and you guys just stand right here next to me. And just say, just tell, just say your name. Sammy. Sammy. Micah. Sammy and Micah. Okay, Sammy, Micah, Allison have brought me a gift, and uh, I haven't looked at it. I don't know what it is. Okay, then. You guys did a doozy here, man. Nice. All right. Go ahead and, uh, uh, Sammy, why don't you tell us what this is? A diaper. A diaper. Is it a clean diaper or a dirty diaper? Clean. Okay, we're so thankful for the clean diaper today. All righty then. Well, I don't think I have to explain the purpose of the diaper. Right, Jackson? We don't need to talk about that. But we know that this helps keep people, babies in particular, but also mommies and daddies, clean. I'll explain. I'll explain. Because when my oldest daughter, Mia, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Mia. It might have been Jackson, but I'm pretty sure it was Mia. She was wearing diapers, and it was the day that we were dedicating her. And I was holding her, and I was wearing a suit and tie, and I was holding her right about here, and her diaper was right about here. And it was a real serious, emotional moment, and I I had a microphone on. I I think I was, actually, I think I was saying a prayer over her. And somewhere right inside of that prayer, you could hear over the microphone, And it came out of the diaper, and it, and it was around her onesie or a little beautiful dress, and then it was on my shirt and my coat and my tie, right? Your parents have never had an experience like that with any of you, I'm sure. The purpose of this is to help keep the baby clean, but also whoever's holding the baby at the time when things happen, um, to keep them clean as well. You know, Jesus, um, (laughs) I've never thought about Jesus being like a diaper. And I'm worried about lightning striking somewhere. 
But you know, his, uh, the scripture does tell us that his shed blood covers our sins um, and he makes us clean. The, the truth about us, all of us humans, whether you're small or uh, large, is we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all made our messes. But his blood cleanses us. And it doesn't just cleanse us, but it can keep us clean and, and truly can move us into a place where it, it continues to keep us clean. We don't have to keep making messes of our lives. God's love empowers us to overcome that. And uh, aren't we thankful for that church, that that's, that's the kind of God that we serve, that he loves us that much? Okay, there was three people that agreed with me on that. No. Yeah. So there you go. There's my little diaper sermonette. <laughs> wow. Okay. Guys, thank you for bringing that, and thank you for taking that back to your little brother. And I think you were invited to head right over there with Miss McKenzie, and she's got notebooks for you that she's worked hard on preparing for. Can we give our kids a hand? I'll tell you what, I get anxious about that because, you know, having no idea whatsoever what's going to show up, that's fun to do. Uh, I would like to invite everybody, while they're getting themselves squared away, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Today we're going to wrap up this sermon series that we've been kind of walking through. <laughs> walking through the story of Saul and this transition into the story of David. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And when you pull that up, you'll see immediately, well, we're talking about David and Goliath today. The story, the uh, quintessential David story. And really, this is the story that, that brings David into the limelight. This is the story that, that brings David into the public eye of, of Israel and even Israel's enemies, because today's story is Israel against the Philistines. Imagine two armies on the sides of mountains that are facing each other with this valley in between. Vast armies, and as was usual for this time period, if you've ever watched any of the epic movies uh, of, these, of these ancient armies coming against each other, uh, you'll find something that happens uh, inside of these, and it, this was common, where instead of the huge armies fighting each other and all kinds of bloodshed and all kinds of loss of life, often what they would do is they would each choose their best soldier, their best fighter, and they would put them in the middle and they would take each other on, and whoever lost 
that army became subservient to the winning army. And it was a way for the, the combat to happen, to, for, for a way to settle this whole thing with, with just one person dying, theoretically, as opposed to hundreds or thousands. And essentially, this is, this is the setup for today's story. The Philistines, they have this giant, and his name is Goliath. Goliath actually has four brothers as well. But Goliath is the centerpiece of, of the Philistines' army, and he's huge. He's somewhere between eight and nine feet tall. Um, I think that's roughly the height of that door right there. That's basically the height of Goliath. Goliath is so big that his, the armor that he wears weighs 200 pounds. That's the size of a grown man. That's the weight of a grown man. That's, that's the weight of the armor that Goliath is wearing. Okay, This guy is huge, and he's very strong, and, and he's just an awesome physical specimen. Okay, And what's happening is Goliath is walking out of the Philistine camp, a few steps down the hill, and he's looking towards Israel, and he's shouting out at Israel, and he's defying Israel's God, and he's just begging, would somebody come forward and take me on? Whoever wins this battle, the, other, the losing side will become subservient to the other. So go ahead, whoever is over there, oh, you Israelites, whoever wants to step forward and take me on, Let's go for it. Bring it on. And he's doing that day in and day out. That's how chapter 17 begins. Of course, Israel over here, they're, they're shaking in their boots. And in a way, it's, it's justified. This guy is enormous. Now, when Goliath comes out and he calls for somebody to come face him one-on-one, mano-a-mano, man against man, one against one, all right, so you're over here on this side. Well, who's going to be the one to step out? And everybody in the army is thinking the same thing. Naturally, it should be the biggest guy. Whoever's the biggest guy should come up against their biggest guy. It totally makes sense. Well, who's their biggest guy? King Saul. We've already been told. The reason he was selected as king over Israel is he stands head and shoulders above the rest. He's their biggest guy. So everybody else is standing here going, Come on, Mr. King. The whole reason we made you king was so that you would lead us into battle. Here's your moment. Here's your opportunity. Here's your time. You're the one that's taller than everybody else. You're the one that should be stepping out there and taking this guy head on. It's you, Saul. We're all waiting. And Saul happens to be one that is shaking in his boots the most. And it's probably because he feels that pressure. 
He's feeling it himself from the inside, and he's feeling it from those that are around him. Well, David, David is still young, 10 to 15 years of age. We're not exactly sure his exact age, but he's not even there. He's still tending the sheep. But one day, but his brothers are out there on, 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 in the army on the front lines. So David's dad says, uh, David, I want you to take some food out to your brothers. And I just check out, see what's going on. I, I, I want to get a report on how things are going. So David heads out. So here we are. We're going to pick up the reading. Chapter 17, right at verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. He loaded up and set out as Jesse, his dad, had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines went drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were as he was talking with them. So he's, he's over here and he's having a discussion with his brothers, checking in with them, and this voice begins to shout out from the other side. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David hears it for the first time. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, and, and this has been happening for a little over a month now. We're into five or six weeks of this happening, day in and day out. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So now David not only hears this defiance against Israel and Israel's God, but now he sees Israel cowering and even turning and running. David, um, oh, so now the Israelites had, had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out. He comes out to defy Israel. The king, will get, the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give from his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. So now, th- so this is what, what has happened. Saul, who should be the one to go out and face Goliath, has said, all right, check it out. Whoever wants to go out from Israel and, and take on Goliath, if you win, uh, I'm going to exempt you from taxes. You can have my daughter in marriage. I mean, I, I'm going to I'm going to bless you immensely. So, who's interested? Well, after 40 days, no one has shown any interest in participating in this event. David catches wind of what Saul has offered to everybody. So, David asked the men standing near him. Uh, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Man, there is something about David. And, and, And we've already been told, you know, he's a man after God's own heart. But there's something about this kid. And, and Nate really spoke to this about our children. But there's something about this kid that he's like, I don't care that this guy is huge. Who is this uncircumcised man that would dare defy the living God of all the universe? David understands something about this God, this God of Israel that not only the rest of the army doesn't understand, but even the king himself 
does not understand. So they repeated to him what, had, what uh, Saul had been offering. And this is, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Verse 28. When Eliab, so this is David's oldest brother. When, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard David speaking with other men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, these are coming out of his older brother's mouth. Uh, you know, why? And, 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 but Eliab has seen something. All of the older brothers of David passed in front of Samuel and were rejected. But it was this kid that had been hanging out with the sheep. They watched this. They saw with their own eyes their younger brother anointed as the next king over Israel. You know, Eliab being the oldest brother, probably... When he witnessed that, was like, that, that's supposed to be me. In fact, Samuel, when he, when he saw Eliab, Samuel's first instinct was, man, that's got to be him. That's got to be the next king. And the Lord's like, nope, I look at the things of the heart. It's interesting that Eliab's harshest words to David is, I know how wicked your heart is. When the truth about David is he's a man after God's own heart. It's an, it's an absolute lie coming right out of Eliab's mouth into David's ears. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? And he turns away to someone else. Man, I'll tell you what, that we can learn a lot right here, folks. Because let's be honest with ourselves. The people with the harsh and negative words we tend to just give them too much of our ear and too much of our attention. And we'll try to argue and we'll try to, we'll, 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 you know, we'll, we'll engage it and, 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 and maybe in a way we're, we're trying to win them over. David doesn't even, he's like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to these people. Forget about you, Eliab. We might be able to learn something from David just even in how he responded to someone who's just speaking out lies about him and to him. Maybe. He turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. When, when David said, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. So now the king gets wind of this kid. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. I will go and fight him. Saul said, look, thank, thank you for the help, but you're not able to go out against him. You're just a young man. This guy is huge, and he's been a warrior even since he was your age. He's been a warrior since the time of his youth, because of his size, of course. Here's David's response. Your servant has been keeping 
his father's sheep. I've been keeping my father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Um, Anybody got a story like that? What? Man, there's something about this kid that is different than anyone else. That, that is, and, and he's doing that because of his passion for keeping the sheep safe. There's something inherent in, in this kid that he knows God has got his back. God will empower him to do to, to do incredible things and to overcome even, even a lion or a bear coming right at him face to face. So close that he'll grab it by its hair and strike it down. Okay, you put a gun in my hand and it's a long ways away, I'll shoot. But once it starts getting close, I'm running. That's normal, right? I'll shoot it. But I'm not going to get in a knife fight with a bear. It just seems like really bad things would happen, except that David understands something about his God, about our God. Your servant, me, I have killed both the lion and the bear. And this guy, this uncircumcised Philistine, will be just like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, great, go and the Lord be with you. And then Saul does something interesting. He dresses David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around but he just wasn't used to them. I mean, just think about this for a moment. David, Saul, Saul's head and shoulders above the rest. Saul's got his stuff that's fitted for him, fitted perfectly for him. After all, he is the king. Saul's like, here, you take, you take my stuff. You take my issues. I'm going to put it on you, David. I'm going to put my stuff on you, and you go, and you... Take this guy on, by all means. David tries it on, can't walk around in them. He's like, I can't go in these because I'm not used to them. And and you know what? That's, That's your stuff. That's not my stuff. And so he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream. And the five, the number five, the five stones, most scholars basically believe that it's, it's one for Goliath and one for each of his brothers. Maybe. I can buy that. He chooses five smooth stones from the stream, puts them in his pouch, the pouch of a shepherd's bag, a sling in his hand, and he heads out to the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, 
kept coming closer to David. Not, not only is David a lot smaller, but it's two against one. So, I mean, Goliath has his shield bearer. There's two of them. It's, it's you know, the, the odds are crazy. He looked David over and saw that he was just not much more than a little boy, glowing with health and handsome, but he despised him. Am I a dog? Am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine began to curse David by his own gods. Come here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David's response to this giant. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. All of the weapons and tools of the world, everything that's in the natural realm, that's what you come at me with. And it's the exact reason why all these men behind me, including the king, shake with fear. That's how you come at me. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. It doesn't matter how big your sword is. It doesn't matter how heavy your armor bearer is. I don't care how tall you think you are. I come at you in the name of the living God of all the universe. He's the creator of all things. He breathes out stars that are so huge we can't even fathom their size. Those come out of his mouth. I am empowered by him. So no matter how strong you think you are, no matter how many other men you have killed with your pinky finger, I don't care. Because I come at you in the name of the living God of all the universe. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God, the God. Here we'll see and we'll know that it's not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. And David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Got to love that story, right? When we dig into this story, typically we focus in on David facing Goliath. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about facing our giants and how to overcome our giants and, and what are our stones that we throw. And I want to back up a little bit, though. And, and, and I'd like to focus in on, on a much more significant enemy of David's, and it's Saul himself. Now, up until this point, Saul has not been an enemy of David, but trust me, 
because of this story, Saul becomes a mortal enemy of David. He seethes with jealousy and anger towards David. Because when, when everybody sees David, this kid, slaying Goliath with this stone, a legend happens. It's legendary. And as people are chanting out in the streets and, and all these ensuing battles happen and, and, and Israel gets on this roll, they'll, they'll say things like, well, Saul slayed thousands upon thousands, but David slew 10,000s upon 10,000s. There's this, there's this legend that is born because of this event. And, and Saul, he sees it, he knows it, and, and he already knows something. He already knows that the Spirit of God who had been upon him because he was king has left him, has left him. And it's obvious to everybody where the Spirit of God, who the Spirit of God is resting on now. It's this kid. And man, the, the, rest, of, the rest of this time th- throughout 1 Samuel is Saul pursuing David, chasing after David, trying to take David out, trying to kill David, and David is just on the run. And, and it's a 20-year journey before David becomes this king that he's already been anointed to do. 20 years. Saul has this conversation with David. And David says, I, I, I know God. I know God's got my back. I know God will empower me. I've seen him do it time after time after time. And this Philistine will be just the same as the lion or the bear. I'll do it. Saul's like, okay, I'm going to put my stuff on you. And it got me thinking. How does that happen to us? And how often does it happen to us where where our enemies will try to put their stuff on us, or where the world in general will try to put its stuff on us, or where, where, where the enemy, capital E, of our soul will try to put his stuff on us. It's not, it, it's not just a Bible story, but it, it's happening to us still today. I want to offer some examples to you, and I need some helpers. I'd like four kids ranging from the age of 10 to 15, two boys and two girls, somewhere between 10 and 15 years of age. Who can help me? Gabby, come on up. Come on up, Hunter. Two others, another boy and another girl. Okay, Savannah, come on up. Okay, we got four. All right, we got three boys. So you guys are going to be my Davids today. You're going to just stand right here, and you're going to face them. Yeah, that's fine. You can come down here, Savannah. We have, we had somebody else. Who was it? Eric, was it, was it your daughter? Can you, were you comfortable coming up? Thank you, honey. Let's see. Where's my stuff? Where do my, uh, the music stand I was using earlier. Mackenzie, did you carry that off somewhere? And what, all the way in the back? Oh, the back by the wall, thank you. Okay, I have my stuff hiding here. Okay, 
So Saul puts his stuff on David, his armor. Just hold this like, like it's protecting your chest. We're just going to act like. Uh, just look at those words for a moment. Sure looks a lot like the enemy. And when you look at these words, you can, you can find that they, they do very well at, at, at describing this guy, Saul. This guy, Saul, shaking in his boots with fear. An absolute failure as a king. Think about the shame in this moment when everybody's eyes are looking to him, the one that stands head and shoulders, the whole reason he was given this position in the first place. And all he can do is offer somebody really cool accolades, really cool stuff if you'll go and do this instead of him, himself doing it. And his identity crisis having absolutely no idea who he is in this kingdom, even though he has been clearly told, even though he experienced himself, the empowerment of God himself on him, now that God has removed himself from him and rejected him as king, who is he now? Reigning, he's reigning as king, He's sitting on the throne, but he has no authority. The guys aren't even responding to this amazing offer. I'll give you all these things. Whoever will go and step in there and handle this thing, I'm going to give you all this. He has lost all of his influence. So these tools of the enemy that we see functioning inside of this chapter, inside of this story, inside of this piece of the story. They come before us now, and you, I know you're looking at these words and you're going, man, I'm, I'm dealing with that one. Man, that one right now is, he's hammering me with that one. Or you might be saying, all four of these. They all are fitting into my story right now. I'm struggling with all of them. So what do we do? What are the stones that we pick up? What, what, what are our true weapons of war that we can use to fight these things off, to, to find ourselves in a place of, of overcoming? How do we overcome fear. And my preacher's answer is pretty simple. What does the Bible have to say? I want to know what scripture has to say about it. So when she turns this around, here's what we get. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. We do not have a spirit of fear but of power 
love and self-discipline, a power and a sound mind. Immediately, that scripture tells us that that is not of God. It does not come from God. He did not give us that kind of a spirit. So when when we understand that we are being overcome by fear, how about just rejecting it and calling it what it is? That, that's, that's from the enemy. That's not from God. David understands this. He understands that this God has got his back. He's walked it out. He, it's been his experience, the reality of his journey. God has helped him to overcome. Listen, you're standing face to face with the bear. Most people are going to be a little afraid. There's going to be fear involved. Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Okay, so we've all failed. We've all failed. But does that make us failure? See what scripture has to say about it. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Man, it's not about us. It's about him. David gets this. He's going out facing this giant. He's like, you think it's about you, Goliath, and you think it's about me, but it's not about me at all. I come to you empowered by the living God of all the universe. You come at me with all the worldly strength and might and awesomeness that probably on the planet Earth, Goliath was it. Let's just assume that. My grace is sufficient for you. You think you've blown it. You think you've blown it so bad that you're like Saul and you're out. That's not the equation of faith anymore, church. God's grace is sufficient for us, for his power, for my power is made perfect in weakness, his empowerment. If we'll just humble ourselves, when we blow it, humble yourself, admit it, acknowledge it, and ask for his grace and his mercy to redeem it. Man, it just sounds so simple, doesn't it? Okay. This word. I think the enemy uses shame on us so often, especially when we've blown it. The natural thing to just be harassed with is this word right here. Now, I think there's, we should understand that there's a difference between true guilt and false guilt. 
When you've blown it, own it. When you've blown it, own it. But the enemy wants to come and he wants to, to wave this in our face. Even after we've owned it. Even after we've owned it, the enemy wants to come and, and, and pound us with this word called shame. Well, let's see what scripture There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've blown it and you've owned it, there is now no more condemnation. Even when the enemy wants to come and and try to beat you up with shame, reject it. Use this scripture. That is, I don't, I'm no longer under condemnation, Satan. I am in Christ Jesus. I've owned it. He's forgiven me. This is my reality now. I don't know. Is there anybody who wants to say amen to that? Our identity, our identity struggles, uh, depending on your age, there's, there's no telling what that struggle might be for you. And there are people that spend their entire lives, even Christians that spend their entire lives struggling to, to, to know who they are. And, and I, I think often maybe we, it's because we, we start from the outside in with, with this thing called identity. So our job identifies us, and therefore our identity is wrapped up in what we do for a living. Many maybe most, that's their reality. So a person loses their job, they lose their identity. Or, or you know, um, someone who retires, many, oftentimes people who retire will find themselves struggling and depressed because, they, the, because their identity has been removed. Everything that they were is now stripped away. They were looking forward to uh, retirement. They were looking forward, and, but all of a sudden, who am I? What's my purpose? I don't know. You, you probably know people in your circle that have, that have experienced that. Let's see what Scripture tells us about our identity. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. If you have said yes to Jesus. Your identity from the foundation up is in him. You have been made new. The old stuff, fear, failure, shame, all that old stuff is gone. You have been recreated by him and in him and for him. Everything that we do flows out of this new identity. Your job is superfluous to the truth about your identity. Your role in the community, superfluous to that. 
Your role in your neighborhood, superfluous to this new identity. Your role as a parent, as a, as a son or daughter. Your role in, 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 our, in our nation, in our world. What, what, whatever the expansiveness you, you want to go to in regards to who you are, everything about it flows out of this fundamental foundational aspect. We have been made new in him. We are, we are his children. You know, I, I think that these are our stones. These are our stones. This is how we are empowered to overcome. These are just four ways that, that, that our enemy can harass us. Perhaps there are other things going on in your journey, in, in your reality, in your life. Pray about that. Ask the Holy Spirit to identify that in you. And then once that's done, you know what? It's really easy. You can Google that. You can actually Google, what does the Bible have to say about this? And I'm, I can almost guarantee you somebody's already answered that and will highlight a verse for you. You can open that up. You can look at it up. And boom, you've now flipped your sign. You've now flipped your sign. This is where our victory is, folks. You understand that David's victory over Goliath never happens if he walks out of there wearing Saul's garbage. If David walks out of that room wearing all of Saul's garbage that Saul put on him, guess what? The story, completely different. David says, this isn't me. And he flips the sign. I'm not picking up your junk, Saul. Maybe that's the kind of language we got to start taking with our enemy. I'm not picking up your junk, Satan. I want to know what God has to say about it. Who's with me on that? Come on. You can give these kids a hand. Thank you, guys. You can head on down. Here, I'll take these. Jesus, we are yours. We are your people called by your name. We are identified by your name. We are Christians, Christians. We are identified by you. And because of that, it sets a whole new uh, paradigm for us, one that is a paradigm of overcoming. Because you have empowered us with your truth and with your life and with your light, we, we make a choice, a decision, a, a determination that we're not taking on the enemy's junk anymore we're not putting on his his wares anymore it doesn't fit it it's not made for us it is not true and so we reject it we call it what it is we walk away from it we cast it off we seek your in your word the truth that overcomes the lies that the enemy wants to put on us knowing 
that that all happens because we have been made new by you. We are identified by you. It's the truth about us. The worship team is coming to get in place, church. I just want you to spend a few moments reflecting. Reflecting on the signs that you have been wearing. Reflecting on the words that the enemy, the, the, the identifiers, the characteristics that the enemy has trying to been put on, he's trying to put on you. And, and maybe he's been succeeding. Maybe you've been fighting it off. Maybe you've been overcome by it. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you will be the revealer of all things to us now. Help us to see our signs the way you see them. And then... Replace those lies with your truth. Help us to find your truth to replace those lies. You see, this all happens, Jesus, because you died on a cross. A torture device that becomes a redeeming tool for us it's not just about eternal life in heaven but it's about a victorious life here and now a whole new way of living that 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 can be ours now because of what you did then church, we're going to move into a closing time of communion and worship, and I want to invite our our pastors and our helpers that are, are going to distribute. We we practice open communion here. Here's essentially what that means. We do not require a person to be a member of this church to receive communion to it's offered to all that have believed in Jesus for salvation you might be a first time guest here an occasional guest or an official member it's offered to each one of us the same I even want to argue today that it's offered to the one who is seeking to know Christ to the one who wants to believe in Jesus for salvation today take the elements and as you take them in accept his forgiveness and his cleansing you're going to hang on to the elements as you draw them out and we're going to receive communion together today parents you can help your children 
the bread you're receiving is gluten-free, so if you have that worry or concern, it, it should be handled for you, so it's safe for everybody. Once you've received the bread and, and the juice, the body and blood of Christ, we're, we're, we're going to take these elements together. So as you're waiting, just reflect on what Christ has done for you, the victorious reality that is yours, made available to you. Now let's prepare our hearts and our minds to receive this. The night that Jesus 
would be betrayed. Tortured, crucified. As the night that all that was beginning or would, would begin to unfold, he was at a dinner with his followers. He took the, the matzah, the, the, the bread of the Passover meal, and he raised it up and he broke it said a blessing over it and then shocked them by saying this now represents my body broken for you take it and eat it in remembrance of me Later on, the same meal, when they got to the, the third, the third of four cups, the third cup being the cup of redemption, he raised it up, said a blessing, and shocked them again by saying, this cup now represents my blood shed for you. Take this and drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, the truth about us today is that we have no hope without you. We have no forgiveness without you. We have no transformation without you. We have no change without you. We, we have no way to overcome without you. All of the things that the enemy, our enemies, this world tries to put on us, all of that becomes our reality unless you have saved us. And that's the truth about us. You, you've saved us. You've saved us from hell, but you've saved us from hell on earth too. We don't, we don't have to live like the rest of the world anymore. We're not supposed to live like the rest of the world anymore. We have a, a whole new identity and our, our identity in you changes our reality all around us. The world is still falling, fallen, and evil people are still evil people, but in the midst of all of that reality, we have an overcoming spirit. It's not a fear, but it's a power and a sound mind. That is the truth about us. And there is now no more condemnation for us, no more shame. All that false guilt that the enemy tries to harass us with is, is not something we are going to wear anymore. You have changed us. 
You have redeemed us. You have saved us. You have forgiven us. We are made new. And so we worship you now out of that place, from that reality. So church, let's stand together. And let's call this out. This is our testimony today. It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught.
my soul. Is that your testimony today? It is well. It is well with my soul. Christ alone, my hope is found. He my life, my strength, my song.
or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. If that's your testimony, shout amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you, and fill you with his peace and his power. Walk in his power this week. Have an amazing one. See you next Sunday.